Hello, I'm Mark Weaver, president of Mark Weaver & Associates Interior Design. I'd like to invite you to our Instagram Live series called Designers at Home. It's every other Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. It's a casual, informative, and exclusive discussion with renowned architects, interior designers, and artists from around the world. This half-hour podcast program is a recording of the live talk addressing all things design and architecture related, along with personal anecdotes and inspiration. Guests have included Emmy-nominated set decorator Peter Gursky, one of America's leading sculptors, Sabin Howard, renowned architect and artist Leo Marmel, and art advisor extraordinaire Barbara Guggenheim. We look forward to you joining us. Thank you. Um, good morning, everybody. And we're here today. I'm very excited to um, be talking with um, Peter Gursky, who's a three-time Emmy-nominated set decorator and interior designer. And um, morning, Peter. Uh, good morning. Um, you started, you're from Detroit originally, right? Yes, from right around Detroit in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how, how did you get started in, in a career in um, set design? Or did you start off in interior design? Well, I started off in set design. Um, I actually was a theater major in college. I'm one of those failed actors. And uh, <laughs> after they saw a couple of auditions, they said, the scene shop is right over there. Why don't you go back there? So uh, <laughs> I learned how to build and paint scenery. So and that's what how I was, got to start. What was your first project working on in Detroit? Well, you know, we uh, grew up around uh, Sam Raimi, who was a director for Spider-Man. And at that beginning of his career, he was doing a super, super low budget movie called Evil Dead which many people who are horror cult, film cultists love. And uh, we all worked on it. So uh, that was sort of the first uh, foray into film. And then uh, the thing that brought me out to Los Angeles was um, that I had a friend here, Michelle, who had also worked with Sam. And we were all going to work on his new version of Evil Dead now that he had Hollywood money. So I came out here to pursue <laughs> the dream like everybody else, so. That's wonderful. So um, I know the thing that um, I found very interesting is that um, you were selected for the set, to do the set design for the second um, coming of Will and Grace. Yes. So that must, that's quite a feather in your cap. That was really great. I, I, I had the honor of working on the, the first version, the first go round. Uh, Although I wasn't the set decorator, I worked for Melinda Ritz, uh, and I learned a lot from Melinda. And uh, at some point, I went out on my own. So when they returned, um, and Melinda decided not to do it, um, she got three Emmys from the original run. So uh, they asked me, so I was quite honored to be able to, um, you know, step into the role. Well, that's right. exciting. So what was it like the, to the, um, the inaugural night for the show when, when it opened? Was, I'm well, sure there was a lot of pressure. Yeah, a lot of pressure. And it was exciting because they had been able to hang on to the entire set for 
the dozen odd years it had been off the air because it had been on display at Emerson College, which was the alma mater of the producers. Mm -hmm. So that never happens. The set walls, the furniture, everything, down to the candy in the candy dish, which by that time had petrified. But uh, uh, we never get a chance like that to go back and revisit a set. And there have been so many iconic things done uh, with the set and we still had the furniture. So when we began, we kind of brought all the old things back and then subtracted and then added new things and uh, opening night. So we were very excited opening night because all the fans of the show were so invested in how it looks. And so we had to, you know, pass the test with the fans. Yeah, you don't want to alienate them. You don't want to, right? You yeah. have to still be able to tell the story, but you want to update it. You want right. it to be exciting. So the apartment walls have been refurbished. Furbished. Things have been changed, updated. All the furniture was, we kept some of the uh, iconic stuff. We brought in new stuff. So opening night, there's uh, over 300 people in the audience. And it's very exciting. They bring out the actors. There's tumultuous applause. It's a standing ovation to greet the actors. The set's still covered up with a big curtain. Uh, they gave the mic to Eric McCormick and he introduced the new set and they pulled the curtains back. The lights went on full blast and there was a pause, there was a silence. And then the audience gave the set a standing ovation. So we knew we had a winner. It oh, was that's so gratifying, amazing. Great. Yeah. I'm sure you were on pins and needles. Uh, yes. So, uh, Peter, who who sets the tone for the the set? Um, is it the writers? Is it you? Is it a collaboration? How do you come up with um, how you create a set for a particular program? Well, it's always collaborative, uh, and the really the beginning of it comes from the writing and the script what do the creators of the show want? So it starts mm -hmm. there. And then I work with a production designer who really guides the look of the show overall. And uh, then we're guided by the script. And then um, I throw in my own ideas into the hopper and mix it all around and I come up with a set. So it's, it, it is collaborative, but you certainly had the opportunity to give your own viewpoint. Oh, that's good. And are, are the writers and directors usually um, open to suggestions that you have? Uh, yes. But the great thing is we worked with the amazing and legendary Jimmy Burroughs as our director. For, oh, in fact, uh -huh. he's, he's directed all every episode of Will and Grace, uh, the new version and the older version. And um, his needs were very little because he focuses on the words and the performances and his stuff is very pragmatic like move that door over there or i need another pillow or something never uh interfered with the design process it was always about a practical solution for him um and really it was about max muchnick and david cohen as the creators really was the driving force uh, for all the creative changes and then Glenda Ravello, our production designer um, and, you know, taking that information and we're all talking to. Uh-huh.
the writers don't uh yeah <laughs> we love the writers but <laughs> so on this show especially so uh i was speaking with a friend of mine the other day and um he said i see you have uh peter gursky you're talking with him on friday and he said i know peter and um it was uh -oh. gary gibson who was one of my oh yeah um, i did the first two chats with gary who's an interior designer and he has a, a store on Beverly Boulevard, Gibson. And he said, you know, Peter's been into my shop before shopping. And um, please tell him hi. And he says, in fact, I think he may have purchased some things in here for Will and Grace. So, oh, oh yeah. No, no. I love uh, being in Los Angeles. We have so many um, opportunities for shopping and all the different shops. And there's so many creative people uh, that have a retail store. Um, I love Gary's shop, especially because there are so many uh, beautiful things, but also oddly beautiful things. Right, right. Uh, so, <laughs> it sort of reflects his personality. Right? I love yeah. Gary. No, no, Gary, I've known Gary a long time. Love his shop. Um, I always love to go in there when I feel like I'm stuck uh, for inspiration. I, I stop by Gary's shop and I, I, I walk through and I'll find a little something or an unexpected thing, and that will sort of get me on the road to inspiration. But there's a lot of uh, Gibson bits and pieces here and there uh, uh, in the Will and Grace sets. I love, also, I love Nikki Kehoe. I love um, Lawson Fenning. I love uh, all the shops. I so love, um, um, the, the studios have a treasure trove of, oh. of resources for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. The great thing is that all the studios still have their prop houses uh -huh. and especially Warner Brothers, Universal, and they're almost a million square feet of space. And uh, there's just a treasure trove, really, is the only way to describe it. You really How do you go through and dig for it? But yeah. I was going to say, it's got to take hours to go through this stuff. <laughs> well... You know, once you get the hang of it and you know where uh, stuff is and you have your secret spots and your, your, you know where to look, it, 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 it helps. But a lot of times, I mean, I've had great buyers who work with me, uh, especially on Will and Grace. This past time, I had uh, a fellow named Peter Ayala, who was very, very thorough in his search to find things. So even in that process, it can be collaborative when we're both looking for things. And uh, my, Peter might find something. Um, I might find something. So, you know, really great. Uh, uh, re great resources. And because it has decades and decades and decades of uh, things from movies. I mean, we're still finding uh, props from movies from the 40s, like Mildred Pierce. Uh, and in fact, they even have some very fine antiques. They had some uh, Baccarat opera chandeliers that were 11 feet tall and all crystal. And you can see them in Warner Brothers movies throughout history, starting in the 40s, that some art director must have bought them in Europe uh, just before the war. And uh, they were magnificent. But sometime, like in the late 70s, they stopped sending them out because the guy who knew how to take them apart retired and they were... They were too expensive. They auctioned them off a couple of years ago just because they were too valuable to be sitting in the warehouse. But they must have gotten a million and a half each for them. But just spectacular treasures 
buried, you know, deep in the prop house. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think um, when I think of uh, television sets and so forth, I remember as a kid, I mean, I guess it was probably um, America's favorite show was I Love Lucy. Yeah. And I remember watching, you know, this each week and and I was always this is before I was even conscious that I was interested in design. I was always looking at their apartment and analyzing it. Um, I also was always curious what um, Fred Nethel's apartment looked like. <laughs> right. So, but you know, they had the same set week after week and they slept in separate beds, but I, I would always look at the furniture and so forth. And, you know, it, it's now such an iconic um, series and you, um, and your team did a remake yeah. of yeah. probably the most iconic um, I Love Lucy's episode ever, right? Yeah. Well, you know, the, the creators always wanted, from the beginning of the show, always they wanted to do some sort of homage to I Love Lucy because it's really the beginning of the modern sitcom. Mm -hmm. And so we got to do it this last time. It was our third or fourth to the last show. We recreated the Ricardo's apartment, which was amazing because this today, because of the demands of the audience and the way we film, um, our sets are full of details for character. But even in I Love Lucy, the sets were more spare in detail and, and amount of stuff in it. So we really had to zoom in and do, thank God for Google, uh, and uh, image searching because we were able to really get down to the nitty gritty details. I mean, we had a, a there's a little flower cachet pot on the mantle and we were able to count the number of rosebuds, uh, <laughs> which we matched. So it was sort of things like that. We were making lampshades to match and um, the items, there was like maybe one or two things on the coffee table. So it really had to work to match it, you know. Right. Um, made sure we had the fabric on the uh, sofa and the chair. So we replicated the apartment down to the nth degree. And then we did a scene from the candy factory. And um, that's everybody's Lucy, favorite. As everybody's favorite. Yeah. Well, and then Lucy Arnaz Jr. played uh, the foreman, forewoman, excuse me. And... Uh, which was such a delight to have her on set. And it was so amazing because she's a direct connection to her parents who did the show. So to her have her blessing was amazing. And it was so great. She sent me a thank you letter. She said, I think she sent everybody a thank you letter, but for, you know, taking such care uh, of her parents' legacy. So we did that scene and she participated. We did, um, where Lucy is stomping the grapes in the vineyard. Oh, right. um, so it was an amazing uh, experience to be able to recreate all that. So where did you where did you film that scene with the candy? Right on right on the stage. We replicated okay. the stage. Uh, in fact, the candy factory was set up in front of Will's apartment. Um, uh -huh. It was a, a tiny little set. Oh, and then we did, of course, the iconic. Uh, I'm going to. I'm not going to say this right because I was getting it wrong. Um, Vita Vita Vegemin. Uh, right. Of course, he gets drunk on the syrup. Yeah. Right. It's so funny. Uh, Deb the thing is, everyone got to play um, a different kind of Lucy. So Deborah did uh, Vita Vita Vegemin. Um, uh, Mega Malali did uh, 
the vineyard, and then Sean uh, Hayes was the Lucy and the Candy Factory. So uh. just so funny, so funny. So tell me about some of the other um, programs that you've worked on. Well, um, I think that Will and Grace is really uh, the most recognizable. Um, I did, I did a show for Netflix a couple of years ago, ago called Disjointed. So I've been bouncing around, but I also worked on the iconic reboot of Fuller House. So I brought that one back to life as well. And uh, that was interesting because that hadn't been done since the eighties. And well, we had all, the, you know, all the actors were still there. So that was interesting too, because we had to update that as well. But that was another point where the producer had saved some of the original furniture in a warehouse. So it was, I think it was the couches from the living room put on a truck from whatever warehouse sent to us at Warner Brothers, opened them up in the upholstery shop, like layers of paper and plastic and open it up. And what was the dog's name? Comet, I think. Uh, the dog's yeah. hair was still on the couch oh, you're kidding. 30 years ago when they wrapped it up. Crazy. Yeah. So many great opportunities. Oh, so it's up in the, this is another thing about the upholstery shop or the prop house. We take it up there. Uh, and the upholstery guy who's been working there for decades, it was this blue plaid couch. He opens up the paper, he goes, oh, wait a second. Goes back in the storeroom, rummages around. Five minutes later, he comes out with a bolt of fabric that matches the sofa from when they upholstered it 30 years ago. Oh, my God. So it had been sitting in the pile, you know, just sitting waiting for us. And the moths and hadn't gotten to it. No, 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 no moss ever, no. Okay, so what, do you have any, um, I, I know that when you probably watch television or you watch sitcoms, you probably, uh, the immediate thing you do is focus on the sets and, and pick them mm -hmm. apart. I mm -hmm. think um, we become victims of our, our careers. And, and I know when I go into a restaurant or uh, I'll see something on television, um, I immediately look at the, the sets and how things are arranged. And I'll notice if something is out of place, if something is the wrong period for this particular show. Mm -hmm. So do you actually watch a program or are you <laughs> analyzing it? No, I, I usually am able to divest myself. Although, you know, it's always running at the back of my head. I will start cataloging if I see stuff that I recognize from a certain prop house I will go oh that's from uh, Warner Brothers or that's from Omega uh, cinema props or that's from studio gallery so uh, yeah I'm always taking note I think the one thing is uh, the thing that always brings me out of it is if I watch a period film and I know that the piece something or a detail isn't right and it just always throws me. But uh, more often than not, I can enjoy the story, <laughs> but I'm still watching. Right, of course. So do you have, if, if you think about um, perhaps some programs that you think had notable sets, other than yours, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, when one is busy on one's own sets. Um, yeah. uh, I loved, um, some of the longer format shows, like I loved Pose. Um, 
I love all the work of the decorators that I know that do, um, you know, uh, Ryan Murphy shows, um, Ellen Brill, other set decorators do amazing, amazing work. Um, I love um, some of the longer format shows. I love any of the sitcoms I see because it's a recognizable format for me. So there's tons and tons of stuff. Of course, right now I've been at home watching, I don't know what, because there's so much, but I <laughs> right now I tend to like go back to old black and white movies, which is my right. refuge. Okay. So. Well, you know, one. Let's go to something uh, a time perhaps more current. I one of my favorite shows, and it's a huge hit, is the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh yes. And <laughs> I just think it's one of the most brilliant shows on television, and I think it's an Amazon Prime show, mm -hmm. and. I, I have a lot of friends that will watch it, just the, especially the women yeah. who will watch it just for the fashion. But yeah. the sets, the automobiles, the, the scenery, yeah. everything is, for me, it seems to be just perfectly done. So right. give me your take on this. Am well, I right? Well, I, I'm a little uh, prejudiced because um, we've had to compete with Mrs. Maisel for Emmys <laughs> and Art Director Awards. So. Mm -hmm the enemy, uh, but <laughs> I have to acknowledge that they do uh, amazing work. And I, I've uh, seen a couple of episodes and I can see all the hard work that's done and it's very thorough. And I love how um, the exuberance of the art direction and set decorating matches the exuberance of the story that's being told. Mm -hmm. um, I love them uh, recreating period elements, but in, but so that they're fresh and brand new. So as they would be seeing them. So I love seeing the bright colors and the optimism and um, uh, all, the, all, the, all the period things that are done so well and so well integrated with, you know, the art direction and the set decorating and the wardrobe. Um, amazing, great work. It's got to be very expensive to produce something like that with so much detail. Is well, it? I, I used to very proudly um, uh, uh, expound on how much things cost until the studio asked me not to. But uh, uh, because we would have a question and answer uh, when the audience for Will and Grace was waiting uh, for a scene to be set up. But it, it can be very costly. But you have to imagine... It's something that we're buying or renting to uh, reflect, you know, someone's entire life. So although it might seem costly to the to a person living, you know, a typical life um, for a studio uh, decorator, there's so many other elements at work that are going to affect the cost. Like, do I need it uh, right away? Uh, how long do I need it for? Do I have to buy it? Do I have to rent it? And it has to, whatever we're getting has to fit the storyline. So we're really driven by what story they want to tell us. And sometimes, you know, that requires expensive furniture. But especially uh, for Will and Grace, we had to pay a lot of attention to design detail because our audience is sophisticated in that manner. And so uh, we had to, or the audience, you know, would catch us not doing our job. So that's why Will and Grace could sometimes be expensive because that's 
what was required to match the character. So, right. you know. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know that people are aware how important the sets are to the whole atmosphere of a program or a show. And um, because you're really setting the stage and setting the mood for everything. Mm -hmm. So it's almost uh, an additional character or it really is another character. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of times, especially like if you're doing a period show like Mrs. Maisel, you've, it's just the final link that pulls you, because uh, performers have told me that pulls you uh, into the story and helps you, uh, you know, cement uh, your performance. We did, I think the second year of the reunion episodes of Will and Grace, we did um, a show where they travel back in time to the turn of uh, the century between the 19th and the 20th century. And uh, so we had to convert Will's apartment to a Victorian age, which is a right. totally different style of decorating. So we kept all the walls intact, but recovered and redecorated. And when the actors and everyone saw the sets, they were blown away just because we're so used to seeing Will's beautiful right. sort of minimal yeah. design. And then you've got this crazy Victorian. And like it transported amazing, you into another era. Totally, just totally right. like uh, uh, bring you into another era. Yeah. Right. Oh, it was like that old movie, Somewhere in Time, that Christopher Reeve was in. Oh, I love that film. Remember that? And yeah, it was so great. He buys the old suit yes. and wills himself to go back in time, and then he finds the penny in his pocket from the present And it's Andy's. filmed in Mackinac Island in Michigan. Yes, in Michigan, yeah. yes. Yeah, it was great. So, you know, I, I can't help but I'm looking at all these objects behind you, and somebody um, just put a note on here and said, where is that fleur de lis from? So. Uh -huh. Um, are you, because of your career, are you a compulsive collector? Uh, yes, I'm afraid so. And many friends have had to intervene. And the thing is, uh, <laughs> the thing is, um, I've moved into doing some residential design and mostly with actors and producers and writers. Uh, and it's, you know, a different world from that. But so mm -hmm. You see many uh, interior designers who have beautifully decorated homes. My house looks like Granny on acid went to a, gra a garage sale <laughs> because I've got bits and pieces from everything that I've worked on. Uh, the fleur de lis is, I found at the flea market uh, years ago, uh, the Rose Bowl flea market for <clears throat> something or other, or the crazy Victorian fruit arrangement behind me. So. There's all sorts of interesting things to look at in my apartment, but uh, well, that's I don't good. Think I think it's an architectural it's digest. Yeah, I think it's important that people surround themselves with things that mean something to them, that things that they love. Mm -hmm. I always encourage clients not to have their house look like a showroom, mm -hmm. to um, bring some personal things. Perhaps it's a chair from their grandmother or just things that they've collected as they travel around the world. And it's wonderful to have these things. It all doesn't have to match and, and go together right. perfectly. Well, I, I like to think that, and that especially when I'm doing um, a show, I'm telling the story of the characters in the script. Uh -huh. And I think I try and bring that when I'm working with clients uh, on interior design for their place. Um, I try and 
help them tell their story. So, because many of my clients, like I have, uh, I'll drop a name, Jesse Tyler Ferguson and his husband, Justin Makita, are very good clients of mine. And uh, everyone, you know, wants to contribute and has an idea of how their space wants to be. So I want to interpret that for them and bring them the best version of that idea they have in their head. So yeah. I, for me, even if I'm working at someone's house, it's still about storytelling. It's telling their story. Yeah, I think it's very important. It's, I'm always trying to um, pull things out of clients and getting them to express their feelings. Sometimes they're a little reluctant because they're intimidated that they might say something wrong or come up with a bad idea. Right. And I, there are no bad ideas. There are no, others that no. are perhaps better than one another. There's no, there's no bad ideas. And in fact, uh, remember, I did a house for Jesse Ferguson um, uh -huh. when he was single, and that was one version. And then when Justin uh, joined us, we were like the three musketeers, and Jesse and Justin sort of had different ideas. And I loved it. We went shopping just to get an idea and uh, Justin picked out um, this sculpture, which was a horse made out of uh, parts of car parts. I loved it. <laughs> but normally, uh, because I'd learned what Jesse had liked, uh, I might not have suggested it. But I loved that Justin went out there and said, that's what I like. Let's do this. I mean, we it was our inspiration piece. It was the first thing we bought for their house. So I was so happy that uh, it was becoming a collaborative effort. And like, I, like that, new ideas right. had come through. And yeah, then um, the same thing, like husbands and wives, uh, Eric McCormick, who's Will, uh, and his beautiful, lovely wife, Janet, who I love, 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 love. Uh, I've worked on several projects for them, but that's a husband and wife. Like husbands and wives, uh, they argue about their space. So yeah, it's you an interesting dynamic. Be, uh, you have to be a referee. So right. yeah, you know, that's funny true. moments because right. in the end, it's uh, it's their house, and even if we make a misstep, we can correct it. But people get so passionate about well, that's good. You know what color they want. Or you're also like very that. passionate. Yeah. So I know we talked about um, the ability to walk into a space or a room, or in your case, perhaps it's a set, and you immediately get a, a feeling. It's, it's yeah. an innate response. And I think everybody is born with a gift. We all have right. our gifts in life, whether your specialty is medicine or, or teaching, whatever it is. And you had said, you know, you can walk into a space and immediately feel it right. and know what it needs. And, and I responded to that because I do the same thing. I don't even yeah. have to think about it. I know when I start thinking about it, I'm making a mistake. <laughs> well, so, uh, these are my gifts. I can tie a bow tie without looking. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> It's very handsome. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, I really, I walk into a space and I almost immediately know exactly what I want to do with it. But it's kind of hard when you meet a new client or walk onto a new set to just blurt out, you know, after five minutes, oh yeah, I've got this covered. You know, because nobody thinks they're getting their money's worth. So you have to kind of dole out the information. But 
it's a curse. It's a blessing and a curse. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I, I really do envision it. Um, and that, and that helps guide me. So I, it's just what happens. You know, right. I was a kid with an imagination. Uh, and now well, here that's I am. why you're successful. And that's why you're brilliant, Peter. So I'm everybody keeps saying, would you tell Peter to back up so they can see your tie? Oh, there you, go. you have tie fans on today. There you go. Great. And my zebra shirt. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Peter, at the end of the day, how, what do you, when you leave all this, what do you do to sort of chill and relax and um, get yourself centered again? <laughs> well, um, I do uh, love um, hanging out with friends. Um, it's been a little more difficult lately, but mm -hmm. um, I, I, I have my pods of friends where we've quarantined and uh, all of us are you know, pretty, we're cleared to go. So, but love just getting together with friends and making food. And, you know, I have a lovely deck out the back of my house and we have great weather here in California. So I love uh, having dinner with friends out on the deck and just, you know, sharing each other's reflections about life, you know? Yeah, it's, that's it's, lovely. Having great friends is a blessing. Yeah, I think that's probably the thing that everybody is missing at the moment is, yeah. Um, sharing intimate times with one another because it's what really yeah. makes life so wonderful. Yeah. And of, of course, I have to spend, I have to acknowledge my dog, Toby. He's off somewhere chasing a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> it's me and Toby. Yeah. Um, thank you, Peter. This is so great to talk to you. And I think everybody is thrilled to get a little insight into um, your world as a designer and a set decorator, it's exciting. If people want to find you, how do they go about? Do you have a website that they can explore? It's Peter, sorry, it's petergursky.com. Uh, and uh, I have examples of clients, uh, homes I've done, and also sets are on there as well. And uh, you can send me an email if you want to contact me. Great. Thank you, Peter. I really enjoyed it. And I, I know everybody else did too. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. What a All great, right. fun experience. Thank great. you so much. Have a good weekend. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Designers at Home. Follow us on Instagram at Mark Weaver and Associates to listen to live or subscribe to this podcast. If you found this podcast valuable and insightful, share it with your friends, comment, and subscribe. We are also on YouTube at Mark Weaver and Associates. Thank you.